Good morning to all, and greetings in the name of Jesus from Stratford, Wisconsin, and the Bethany Church by way of Maranatha Bible School. It's good to be with you again. Worship together and and uh, think the things of the Lord. Appreciated the Sunday school lesson and the service thus far. My message this morning is on the other side of the sowing to those who have accepted the seed. And it's a result of some work I've been doing on a, a project assignment <coughs> in relation to assurance of salvation or maybe confidence of our salvation would might be a better word. And it's something that I think if I would ask for a show of hands this morning, how many of you have, and you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever struggled with the whether or not you truly were saved and you truly had the assurance in your heart of your sins forgiven and and the the confidence of when you passed that you would be with the Lord. I think it's a battle that we've all faced, all asked the questions about, and this, my approach is not so much to look at assurance, but I think if we will truly understand what it means to be saved, that there will be assurance and confidence that we have experienced it and are experiencing it. Much of our concept of, of salvation and what it means to be saved comes from the Protestant approach. And um, I think we're influenced more than we know by, by the Protestant approach to salvation or the Calvinist approach. Where the focus is on the event, you get saved, you experience salvation, and then you focus on that. If there are questions, you'll go back and renew where you have been. And I would suggest this morning that our confidence, that is not to diminish the importance of the new birth. You must be born again. We understand that. And that is where it begins. But our, your confidence this morning is not because of an event that happened five years ago or 50 years ago, but your confidence is because of where you are today with the Lord. Your confidence is if your faith is continuing in Christ. So to begin couple of passages of scripture, one from 1 Peter chapter 1, gives us an overview of what it means to be saved. First Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us again, and the sense is 
the new birth. He has, we have been born again unto a lively hope, begotten, born. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so he, he brings in the new birth in the introduction here. Begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. And so we are born again and we share with Christ and in his inheritance reserved in heaven for you. It is reserved for you. We haven't realized it yet, but we have that confidence being born again that we have an eternal inheritance in heaven. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by the power of God, saved by the power of God, and also kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, so now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And so, begotten again, born again, an inheritance reserved in heaven, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, the trial of your faith, the day-to-day, living it out in life, much more precious than of gold that perishes because it, it helps us to realize our dependence on God as we go through those trials. It refines us, sanctifies us. No chastening for the present is joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness. So the idea of continuing on and and a walk through life, our faith, even though we don't see, yet believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul, the end of life. Jesus, not only the author of faith, but the finisher. Salvation is begins at the new birth. That is critical, but it is more, it is the process from that starting point until completion in eternity when we receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. Then we'll go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, another familiar passage. Back up to four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are saved by the grace of God, the work of Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense, by grace, through faith, we access the grace of God through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. We are the work of Christ, both in salvation and in the ongoing process of of living it out in everyday life. I would suggest this morning that that the workmanship of Christ, the work of the cross, and his ongoing workmanship as we go forward from there is entirely the the work of Christ. The cross is important, but to decide which is more important, we can't do. Is it more important that Christ died for me and the blood saves me, or that he today is interceding on my behalf. Romans says that if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more shall we be saved by his life? We are reconciled to God at the cross, but how much more the ongoing work as our intercessor are we saved by his life. Hebrews says that he is able to save them to the uttermost, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He is able to complete the process, save them through and through, because of his intercession for us. The intercession of Christ. Peter had the privilege of being in the presence of Jesus, and he was confident and that he would never deny Christ. Jesus told him that he would, but then he gave these these words to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And I believe it was in the same night in the garden he prayed the, the intercessory prayer, high priestly prayer, and that praying not that He would take them out of the world, but that he would keep them from evil. Peter was told directly by Jesus, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And then he heard him pray an intercessory prayer. And that is what he is doing today as he, his place at the Father's right hand, interceding, praying for us that our faith fail not. But it doesn't end there. The work of Christ is also an internal abiding of the Holy Spirit. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So that, too, is part of the workmanship of Christ. The atonement, the sacrifice, his intercession, the living Savior at their Father's right hand, and... The indwelling spirit of God, guiding, convicting, nudging me, 
quickening me, working out, producing the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus gave kingdom principles, as we saw in the in the Sunday school lesson. The Beatitudes were basic kingdom principles that that Jesus taught, not only taught, but lived them out. They are the character and nature of Jesus. They give us an insight into the character of God. Jesus taught them, this is who I am, and this is these are the principles that will identify kingdom members. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the attitude and character of Jesus, despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Blessed are the meek. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Again, the character of Christ. Blessed are they that mourn, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, identifying the members of the kingdom, humility, Meekness, mourning, a seriousness about life and about sin. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. While he was righteousness, he defined righteousness. But his longing and desire was to to do the will of his Father. Blessed are the merciful, character of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Prince of Peace, the work of Christ in in um, the world today. Blessed are the pure in heart. He defined purity. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, suffered persecution that none of us have known. So that Jesus taught those basic kingdom principles, and then when he departed, he finished the work at Calvary, gave the keys, the responsibility of working them out to his disciples. I have given unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and they went out and then established local congregations of kingdom members. And I'm getting ahead of of, uh, my thought just a little bit. Jesus taught the the Beatitudes, the Kingdom Principles, finished it at the cross, and then the indwelling Holy Spirit now from within works out and bears the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit, which parallels the Beatitudes. And I don't know if it's coincidence or by design that there are nine fruit of the Spirit given and nine Beatitudes. But if you consider the two lists, They very much parallel each other. The work of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing workmanship of Christ in our lives. And then to others, the Word of God. This too is the ongoing work of Christ to shape us and mold us and and, uh, give us confidence in our walk with Him. We are His workmanship. And a fifth one, and this one is maybe a little harder to grasp, but very true and and um, part of the work of Christ is the body of Christ in the world. 
the church. Jesus taught the kingdom principles. The disciples went out and established local congregations. And what was the purpose for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there are two perfections there. The one is for the perfecting of the saints. None of us have everything that we need to find completeness in Christ. That happens within the body of Christ as the the different measures of the Spirit come together, we get a complete picture of Christ and his work. So for the perfecting of the saints, till we all collectively come together unto the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto, a measure, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The local congregations, every congregation has the privilege as we come together and bring our gifts and contributions to present a complete picture of the work of Christ in the world today and the ongoing work in the individual believers' lives to bring them to perfection. (coughs) Excuse me. So, if you've ever heard somebody say, well, all if you have Christ... That is all you need. You claim Christ and, and, uh, that is the answer to all things and I am in that camp. But then the next question would be, which part of the work of Christ are you referring to? Do you refer to the cross? The atonement? Are you referring to his ongoing intercession today? Are you referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart? Are you referring to the Word of God? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus. Or do you refer to the work of the body of Christ? The fullness, Ephesians lifts the church to a very high level. Ephesians chapter 1, he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the wor- this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That is a lofty place for the church, the fullness of Christ in the world today. And sometimes it is hard Jesus knew when he established the body of Christ, when he handed the keys to Peter and the rest of the disciples, he understood the risk that he was giving it to somebody that would deny that he ever knew him. He understood that the disciples would all forsake him and leave. And yet he entrusted the care of the body of Christ in leaving to men 
of flesh and blood, vessels of clay, entrusted with treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels for a specific reason, so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. And so Jesus knew that was by divine plan that the work would continue in in a body of believers that are subject to human failure, human weakness, but collectively and together there's a powerful workmanship there, the ongoing work of Christ. I like to think of the work of Christ and salvation, that process, the journey from the cross to the end of life when salvation is completed as a restoration, to be restored. Isn't that what happens when we come to Christ and experience salvation and in eternity we finally are restored to the original purpose that God had designed in the Garden of Eden? Created in the image of God. Created pure and holy and sinless. Created with eternal life. And when man sinned, and we all inherited that same sin nature, all of that was lost. We lost the image of God. We lost life. The wage of sin is death. We lost purity. We lost holiness. In Christ, that is all restored. We are created a new creature made after the image of him that created him. Romans chapter 12 says that he he beseeches, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, And then he says that ye may prove or that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Romans 8, excuse me, and verse 28. familiar verse and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose the all things that are working together for good to them that love God is this workmanship of Christ on our behalf or the God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit which is spelled out in the verse previous to that Uh, Verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this is the all things that are then coming together in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. And for further insights into the all things, we jump over to verse 34, 
Who is he that condemneth? And that's a rhetorical question that's answered in the first part of 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So the answer is no one. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And so God the Father, the intercession of Christ, the indwelling Spirit, described in 26 and 27, coming together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, and then he tells us what that purpose is in 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That is the purpose of God in in salvation, is to restore, be conformed to the image of his Son. It is a... It is complete at the new birth, perfect and whole, and if we would have the privilege of dying when we first confess Christ, we would have the confidence of being completely restored and in the image of Christ. The thief on the cross, simple expression of faith, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. If the thief had survived the crucifixion and gone forward, then he too would have experienced in an ongoing way the workmanship of Christ, his intercession and the Holy Spirit within, the word of God and and the body of Christ. Our confidence at the new birth and our confidence in going forward in living it out by faith and walking in the light as he is in the light is because of our confidence in in the work of Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work will restore it until the day of Jesus Christ. Restored completely to the original purpose of, of God. I have a brother-in-law in, in uh, Mississippi who is a woodworker, a skilled woodworker, he doesn't um, do mass production or assembly line, but each piece that he does is a work of art in itself. He does restorations, either pieces of furniture, and a lot of his work, some of it is in, in old mansions, some of the old southern mansions dating back into the 1800s, falling in disrepair, new owners buy them, and they would like to have them restored to the original purpose of the original builder. And so my brother-in-law gets called in, and he looks at the the trim, the wood, woodworkings, the doors, the panels and the doors, and finds the original wood. And because the trim is no longer available, he has to make his own molds to replicate the trim and the panels on the doors. He finds the original finish. And when he's, well, the work is completed, the, the um, house has been restored to the original purpose of the, the builder that, that built the house. 
My brother-in-law is soft-spoken and gentle, and when he describes the projects, the work that he's working on, the passion that he has for the work, it's very easy to understand the work of Christ in the heart and in the human life to restore us to the original purposes in the Garden of Eden. The workmanship of Christ in in bringing us to the purposes that God had for us. I like to think of the new birth in terms of a birth certificate. All of us, all of you, I suspect, were born, were, were issued a birth certificate. But the birth certificate that you have says nothing about your life today. If you have a medical emergency or or um, a medical problem, the doctors wouldn't go to your birth certificate to determine what is wrong, but they would go to do a physical exam and check your vitals, and, and that would determine the health of the individual. In the same way, the spiritual birth certificate that you get at the new birth says probably doesn't say a lot about where you are today. You would check the spiritual vitals. There are people in the world that don't have a birth certificate, even in the United States. I suspect there are some that get under the under the system and don't have a birth certificate. Not all birth certificates are accurate. When our oldest daughter was born, the attending physician wrote on the birth certificate May 23, 1982, and we all know that she was born June 23, 1982, but we didn't catch that until she went to get her driver's license at 16 years of age and discovered that her birth certificate says May 23, 1982. Does that make her any less a living person or the person who doesn't have a birth certificate any less living? No. If she's breathing and functioning and or has a heartbeat, then she is a living person. And I would suggest that not every Christian is able to identify a spiritual birth certificate. My mother passed a year and a half ago or so and she was a godly woman. I realize that there's probably familial bias there. But truly, she she was living with the Lord Jesus in her heart and making her decisions, direction of the Holy Spirit, and she had the confidence of, of uh, her faith being completed just a week or so before she passed. She woke up one morning, and my brother was there with my parents and she woke up and asked the question of him, am I still alive? And he assured her that yes, indeed, you are still alive. But he said, one of these days, you're going to wake up in heaven. And she said, oh, that will be glorious. She had the hope the, that she would be glorified. She would be, 
her faith would be completed. There was a time in her life when she was troubled by the fact that she didn't couldn't identify her birth certificate. I remember the time coming home from Sunday services and the minister had suggested that every Christian should be able to identify when they were born again. And that troubled her because she couldn't. She knew that she was a Christian. She had confessed Christ and was baptized and and faithfully served in the church and in our home. And I, yeah, I remember my father helping her to understand that that um, we may not all be able to identify that, and that her confidence eventually was in where she was with God and and her hope in that. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, In a way, it would be nice if we could all have the dramatic experience that the Apostle Paul had, right? Being struck to the ground and, but even he, at the end of his life, he didn't identify the Damascus Road, but he talked about the journey. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to be only, but unto all them also who love his appearance. So he did have that that dramatic experience, and he referenced his new birth in some of his writings and in his, his um, work with the Jews and Gentiles. None of the other apostles we have recorded a dramatic new birth experience. They clearly were all born again. There was an epiphany of sorts at the the day of Pentecost, but they may have had them, but they aren't recorded for us. Complete and full restoration to the purposes that God had in the Garden of Eden. I trust that as you continue your walk of faith, it is a walk. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So we experience cleansing, we experience justification. God declares us righteous and then ongoing justification as we walk in the light as he is in the light. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So I trust that this can be an encouragement to you as you think of your walk with the Lord, as you understand the workmanship of Christ on our behalf, that you can be renewed in your confidence. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ.